Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the latest edition of March Madness Men's Basketball. I'm your host, Andy Katz. We've got a special show for you here in the final week of the regular season of men's college basketball. I'll be joined by Tom Burnett. He is the Men's Basketball Committee Chair, also the Commissioner of the Southland Conference. And we're going to go over what the committee, 12-person committee now, uh, looks for here in the final week of the regular season. What do they take from that top 16 reveal and how they're applying it going forward as they prepare for meeting in Indianapolis next week. Obviously, he's not going to dive deep into teams. They never do that, no matter what chair, who chair, whatever. They just don't do that. So I wouldn't expect that to happen. And I'd impress them on that because they just don't do that prior to the selection. But we'll get into the weeds of the process as they prepare. Last Saturday is a great setup for this because first time ever, seven of the top 10 AP teams, Associated Press poll, lost on the same day. Now, all were on the road, but it just showed, first off, what we may see in March, that the margin of difference between these teams is very thin. And more than anything, the game is back. Great crowds all over the place. Tremendous. Look, the timing is now actually turning in our favor. Mask mandates are coming down. Limitations on crowds obviously are gone. COVID numbers are down. I fully expect we're going to have an unbelievable tournament with tremendous atmospheres. So, that's first off. And I'm going to go to my ranks in Cats ranks about my top 10 bubble teams I'm sort of watching. And then the back part of the podcast, special interview for you. I caught up with three players from San Francisco. The Dons are in our bracket. In our bracket, by the way, you can check out at NCAA.com on Tuesday, NCAA Digital, uh, our first bracket of the month of March. And in that bracket is USF. On USF, three players from that region, from the region that is dominating the headlines in the world. Volodymyr Markovetsky is from the Ukraine and his two teammates, Yawen Mazalski and Dmitry Ryunyi. They are both from Belarus. Belarus is helping the Russians against Ukraine. Yet, you listen to the three of them, 
their brothers, their teammates. Country matters, but there isn't a difference with them. And you just wish that governments could be like teams. And basketball's done a great job of bringing people together. So uh, it's powerful. What's happening in the Ukraine is horrific, tragic, and hopefully will end soon. So I want you to hear that interview. This is going to be a storyline, obviously, with this team going forward as they go into the WCC tournament, hopefully the NCAA tournament. It's a storyline for all of us, of course, anywhere on the globe. So that's coming up as well. Let's start off, though, with Tom Burnett. And joining me now, Tom Burnett, the commissioner of the Southland Conference and the chair of the NCAA Men's Basketball Selection Committee. And Tom, uh, this is the final week of the regular season for most of the teams in Division I. Uh, a number of other conferences are going to start their conference tournaments later this week. And obviously next week, Champ Week, Selection Sunday. Uh, and looking forward to seeing you, obviously, in Indianapolis uh, over those days. So on Saturday, first time ever, seven of the top 10 teams in the AP all went down, now all on the road. And it was historic, but at the same time, it didn't probably change a lot. Uh, in general, this is a couple weeks now after the top 16 reveal. Uh, what did it tell you uh, when you see that sort of carnage of the top seven in the AP poll all going down on the road? Well, I, I'll say this, Andy. I'm glad we didn't do the bracket reveal this past Saturday because yes. what, what would have happened. But, you, you know, I, I think that uh, just like anyone else, uh, certainly amazed to see the results and, you know, unprecedented uh, in that top uh, six or seven. Um, I think what I would recognize is people seem to forget as much as we ad ad admire kind of the, the top part of this group of teams, there's still a lot of parity out there. And then also, too, I would acknowledge, you know, conference play is hard. Uh, we've said that before, and especially it's really hard on the road. And when you look at these teams that went on the road and lost, that by itself is not so surprising. Certainly the alignment of, of it all happening on this one day, you know, certainly, you know, probably surprised a lot of us. But it, it's part of what we do. It just uh, I, I guess we couldn't wait to get to, to March to have the madness. We had to have a little bit in February as well. So to, to peel it back a little, what does it take? And we're going to use that. I want to use that top 16. So that particular day, you know, we had Gonzaga, Arizona, Auburn, uh, and Kansas. Those were the four number ones. When you're doing this process, so from that point, you know, through next week, what does it take to move a team off of a line of where you had projected them or where you may think that they should be? Well, I think um, what we'd want people to know is we're going to start that process all over again. We're, we're not going to revert back to that top 16 reveal as a basis for what we do. Certainly, there'll be some comparisons after the fact and, and how good, perhaps, or honest was that top 16 reveal or what it looks like a, a few weeks later. But we're going to start the process all over again. You know, when we convene next week, you know, next Wednesday, uh, we will really submit our initial ballot. And that's the same thing we did uh, last week when we did the reveal. So it starts all over again. We start from scratch, so to speak. And 
moving a team off of one line or what based on the top 16 really doesn't apply. You know, the overall body work, we've heard that term forever. How much value is put in to those road neutral games versus a home win over even a legitimate top five, top 10, top two team? Well, you're not going to ignore any result, but I think certainly that the committee and, you know, not just now, but in previous uh, uh, years has acknowledged that winning on the road can be a big difference maker when you get down to the final selection, certainly, or you're trying to determine, you know, who's that four seed, who's that five seed, uh, whatever it might be. So certainly don't want to uh, lessen the idea that winning on the road um, is anything less for the committee, uh, although we certainly recognize winning at home against prominent teams uh, is an outstanding uh, accomplishment as well. So it's all part of that, you know, again, as we do say, the entire body of work, and we're going to take all those factors into play. So I've adopted, obviously, the the, the quad one, quad two uh, vernacular. And, you know, I'm just also curious, uh, and I know you can't, uh, maybe you can, I mean, dive specifically into some teams, but the bottom line is if a team has, let's say hypothetically five or six or even seven quad one wins, quad one, uh, but they've got some baggage in the past, you know, uh, a couple of bad losses that happened in November, December, how do you balance, you know, those two uh, entities on a sheet that you're looking at where when they are at their best, they can be the best teams versus, you know, earlier in the year when they either, you know, had issues, what have you lost to some bad teams. Well, I think it all comes down to 12 of us as committee members coming to our independent conclusions on what those mean. And certainly we have mentioned quite a bit, you know, the quads uh, within the net and nothing uh, in my time on the committee has been determined strictly by net, but the net rankings allow us to dig a little bit deeper into those quads and, and certainly um, there are going to be some teams that, you know, are going to have some great wins, but then also maybe some questionable losses that could have been early. They could be here in the last week or so. And again, you, you try to rid yourself of uh, certainly any recency bias, but there's also an opposite of that. You don't, you don't want to get too caught up in maybe how they did in November uh, versus how they did this week. Um, but it, it's all in that mix of things. And again, independently, we'll all come to a, a conclusion on where we think these teams reside. And then in the more open discussion, when we get into scrubbing, you know, talking about seating and all of that, that, that will uh, come out in, in the mix there. You know, the other thing too is, uh, and I've said this on air, when I reference a conference record, and I know all conference records are not equal, especially in leagues that don't play true round robin or in this year, where some of these leagues aren't playing a full schedule because of cancellations. But when I say, you know, I think a team needs to be 11 and nine or 12 and eight, uh, that's knowing that within that 11 or 12 wins, they are quad one or quad two that you can't just beat up on the bottom. How much do you, when you see uh, those records, do you really have to peel it back and say, okay, how did they get to 12 wins in the, Big 10, the Big 12, you know, uh, ACC, you name it, uh, versus just this great record within a league? Well, the, the other thing about conference play, Andy, is, as you know, is that you, you really can't control that. You know, that, that schedule is set 
you know, by your conference office and you just have to play it, you know, as it lies, so to speak, uh, you know, but there is a recognition that, you know, there might be some uneven scheduling. You mentioned the, the COVID cancellations. I think optimistically here, I know we're going to miss out on some matchups, but it looks like most of those games have been, you know, made up. So we're, we, we feel pretty good about that. But I think certainly through our conference monitoring program, we're, we're going to be fully aware of, of those teams that may not have played certain teams in their conference we're going to dig a little bit deeper and, and ask why and, and what was the case there. But a lot of that falls back on how the conference uh, arranged the schedule uh, for their teams. And, you know, that, that's really out of their control. Uh, back part of the bracket gets a lot of talk at this time of the year and in champ week. And then sort of we go back to the top of the bracket with the, the favorites. Um, what are you looking at when you're voting for that last group of eight or four uh, and that's the other thing too. I just want to clear. I mean, I, I I've gone through the process, but if we could just clarify for those that don't remember that you're not necessarily saying, okay, here's the last team in it's team X versus team Y, that it's a collection of teams that are voted. If you just, you know, clear that up in terms of how that back of the bracket, the first four teams. So those last four to eight teams get put into the field. Yeah, a great question. And, and, and as you're aware, Andy, we have a fourth quadrant subcommittee of the, uh, of the entire committee that, that, that works on a group of teams through the season, certainly as we get into late January, into February and March. So they're already focused and have been meeting on a collection of teams that, you know, uh, whether it's the committee or others in the basketball world are looking at as you know, um, th those last teams in. Now, I will say this, ultimately, that's not a decision by the subcommittee. That will be the entire committee making the decisions, just like we would on the top, you know, first quadrant, uh, the top four seed lines. So that, that's going to be something that, uh, you know, we're all going to be involved with, but we do have a little bit of a head start uh, with our, our, our great uh, fourth quadrant committee that works on that. So we're going to have a pretty good idea uh, even before we get to some of those, you know, last decisions on Saturday night of selection weekend. So uh, that, that's been very helpful, I know, in my time on the committee. But but how does that ranking work? Like you say, OK, you know, we're, we're down to the 11 line or the 12 line. Um, how, how does it just so we educate people? How does it work where you're ranking those teams to then ultimately fill those last spots? Well, I, I don't know that it's any different than what we do at the very top of the uh, line. So it's the same process. We're bringing them in. We're opening up the discussion. We're going through the scrubbing process uh, as well as, you know, once they're set on, on those seed lines. And as you're aware, we'll, we'll be scrubbing almost from the very beginning. We'll be scrubbing uh, the top quadrant, that second quadrant, third quadrant. We'll be doing that throughout. So it's the same process throughout, whether you're on the number one seed line or maybe even on the 13 seed line. We're going to go through that uh, with, with our due diligence. And these are terms that we hear at this time of the year. How do you define scrubbing? Well, scrubbing is really just a, a really a head-to-head -head comparison. When we look at teams on those seed lines, you know, the number one seeds we'll take as an example. We will scrub every one of those teams against one another. We will ask the committee, is there anything you see here or you want to talk about that may think this team jumps that one or this team may need to drop? So that goes throughout the week uh, once we get into really setting the very first seed lines uh, at the beginning of our process. Uh, we, we may go through, uh, you know, maybe a dozen, dozen and a half scrubbing processes 
through the tournament. We'll do that again, even when we get together on Sunday, presuming we have a pretty good idea of what the seed list uh, can look like late, late Saturday night. All right, last two things, Tom, and I appreciate your time. How do you define a bid stealer? Oh, gosh, uh, we've seen that before. Certainly, there are usually bid stealers that are kind of lying in wait at conference tournaments. And certainly, you don't want to put everything on one game. Again, we're referring to the entire body of work. But certainly, we see teams that we think might need one more check uh, mark on their on their resume to get into the tournament. And then something happens at their conference tournament. And certainly, we, as we've seen before, you know, we have contingencies on finals uh, Sunday there with all the, the five tournaments that are going on. So th- those conference tournaments uh, certainly uh, can be dangerous to some teams. All right, last thing, Tom, I know you're going to start fresh, but that was a good primer with the top 16. What did you see in compiling that top 16 that you think will translate to the real deal in terms of, you know, hard decisions uh, as you build those top four lines? Well, I, I think my takeaway, Andy, was that, you know, we, we've got uh, an expanded committee, as you're aware. We have five new members. I think there was maybe a, some question or concern, perhaps, that with five new members, I think for the first time ever, how would we work through that process? And I will tell you, our five new members really locked in, handled it beautifully, and just moved through the process. So I'm really confident that we're going to be able to move through it next week. And not, not rapidly, but through the normal process. But uh, we've got a, a very engaged committee. They're going to come to the table very well informed. And, and I just believe we're going, to, we're going to be in a great spot next weekend. Well, look forward to it. Finally get to see you guys in person. It's been a couple of years. Uh, so look forward to seeing everyone in Indianapolis. Appreciate it, Tom. Thank you. Thank you, Andy. Andy Katz, that guy will rank his wife's dinners. He'll rank anything. All right, time for Katz Ranks here on March Madness Men's Basketball. My top 10 teams on the bubble that I'm really looking to track over the next week and a half. Let's start number one, Rutgers. We're been pretty consistent here. I think the Scarlet Knights need to get to 11 or 12 wins in the Big Ten to get into the NCAA tournament because those wins would be, that would give them six or seven quad one wins. So they're number one. Two TCU. Two games against Kansas this week. They just beat Texas Tech. They're a very intriguing team to get in the tournament. Three, Indiana. Good road win. They've had a couple good road wins. Um, And this Indiana team has the talent to be in the tournament. you got a big game coming up at home against Rutgers, then at Purdue. I feel like they got to get one more. If they lose these two, they're going to have to do work in the Big Ten tournament. Four, Virginia Tech. The Hokies. They need more quad one wins. It's going to be hard to get them. They have to advance in the ACC tournament, but I think they're there. They're, they're getting closer. Five, Loyola Chicago. Looking like a team that we thought would be in no matter what, but then they didn't win the Valley. They lost to Northern Iowa. So now the Ramblers are the fourth seed in the Valley. So that's what we don't know yet about Loyola Chicago. Track how they do in Arch Madness. Three quad one wins. Six, North Texas. They've won 14 in a row. They won Conference USA running away. What happens if they don't win that tournament? I think they should get in. They've had a phenomenal season. Seven BYU. Four quad one wins, but that Pacific loss really stings. I think BYU absolutely has to get to the semifinal, losing really only to St. Mary's or Gonzaga. I mean, based on at some point in that tournament. The Cougars, you know, clearly they have work to do. 
and um, they they had a chance, and that's the problem, and and they didn't convert. So looking at the bracket, they have to play in a first round game or second round. Uh, they're gonna play the winner at Pacific LMU. Then they would get San Francisco, so they gotta win that game, and then they play Gonzaga. Do they have to beat Gonzaga? I guess now that I look at the bracket, maybe they don't have to, but they gotta get to that game. Absolutely have to get to that game. Because then the other side of the bracket, you'd have St. Mary's, would play probably Santa Clara, maybe Portland. So I, I think BYU has to be in that game, which would mean they'd have to beat San Francisco. Eight Florida, uh, the Gators, they got that Ohio State win. Gotta do more work in the SEC tournament for sure. Nine Oregon. Had a chance to get 4-0 against the L.A. schools. Lost in the last possession of USC and Drew Peterson. So they're intriguing. They have more work to do. But I ultimately think they can get in and, and win a game or two. And 10 VCU. Won seven in a row. I think they should be in as of now. But they probably need to get minimum to the semis of the A-10 tournament. Maybe the final. But they need to get in. Especially. <laughs> a little biased here, but... They were the only team last year that did not get a chance to play in the NCAA tournament. They were the one team who had a COVID issue that they arrived with. They didn't play their game against Oregon, and they left. The only team. The only team. If the basketball gods are looking down at VCU, they get in and have an opportunity to play in the NCAA tournament in 2022. All right, that'll wrap up this edition of Cats Ranks. And now joining me here on March Madness Men's Basketball on NCAA Digital, three players from the University of San Francisco. Uh, one of the teams that we're going to be talking about, certainly in the field of 68, I'm very confident that they will be in the NCAA tournament. Had a great year in the West Coast Conference. But I want to go a little big picture, obviously, in what is happening in the world uh, that is more important, obviously, than basketball. And I'm joined by uh, Volodymyr Markovetsky. He is from the Ukraine, and his teammates... Dmitry Yunyi and Yaoyan Mazalski, both from Belarus. Vala, I want to start with you about just what this has been like. You're all the way in San Francisco uh, as you're watching reports of what is happening in your native land in Ukraine. I'll start my little story. So right before all this situation, like this guy can prove this, everybody in the team and all the team asked me about this situation, about Russian-Ukraine conflict. And every time I say, like, I don't believe it. Like, I can imagine, I can believe, like, Russia attack Ukraine. Like, I believe in only good things. So one day after the practice, I go to the library, to my house, back at home, and then coach called, like, what happened in Ukraine? I say, like, nothing. Like, everything, like, the same. And then, like, for another 20 minutes, another coach, Call me and have like exactly the same question. I start a little bit nervous, worries about my family. And then I okay, okay, I'm calling to my mom because I know it's like 5 a.m. in Ukraine. So I just wanna call because it's like super early in the start. But I'll be like wherever. It's like maybe really something happened. And then I call to my mom and first thing what I hear is she crying and tell me Russian attacks. And like in this moment, I really lose myself. I just like something broke inside me. I don't know how we act in this information because how I say, I believe only in good things. I can't even imagine that this can happen. But after this, 
I was like, okay, my city is like opposite side of all like this situation. Like my Ukraine, like my city close to the port. It's like from Kiev, it's like eight hours driving with a car. And like from Donetsk and Lugansk, it's like almost like day of travel. I think, okay, if like Russia attack Ukraine, my family, my home is like super away from this place. I talked with my mom, I tried to say like everything will be fine. Like I tried to beat her, like it was super hard. And then I called to my father, called to my Ukrainian friends, asked him like how they feel. And then I said, okay, everything will be fine. Hour after, I called to my mom again, like to ask like, okay, how my sister doing? Like how she doing? And she told me like, the airport in my city just destroyed. The airport is like 10 minutes from my home. And I saw the video, how it's happened, just long flight correctly to the airport. The people are scary and all this stuff. And after this, I imagine like I'm wrong again. Can't believe the Russian attack Ukraine. I don't believe it's somehow affect my city. And I run twice. And after this, I started really worried about my family. Because I'm, in this moment, I really understand like it's not a joke. How is your family, as we're talking here on Monday, how are they? So my mom and my sister, my sister 11 years old, they crossed the border two days ago. Right now they're in Lithuania. They're in good, good hands, they're in safety. Which border? Lithuania, Lithuania colors. So my father, because he worked in police, he can leave Ukraine and because of job. Right now he in a public safety uh, patrol. He patrol the city every day from like 10 hours. They have AK-47. They have like all the military uh, equipment. And every day he patrol the city like 10 hours. Right now, like, I worry about him because I was like his life in the gym dangerous. But where I'm most worried because of his mental health. Because my mom, my family leave the house because of safety. Like can you imagine like today, like in the world we live in, that my family leave the home because it's dangerous, because they can like really die. How crazy it is. My father stay for just to fight. His home, like, come on, it's crazy. So, Yalian and, and Dimitri, um, you're both from Belarus. Um, not to get mired in the politics of this, but we know Belarus has been helping Russia. So, how, how have you, both of you, dealt with your emotions on this? You have nothing to do with the governments, but still, how have you dealt with the Omovolo and, and, and being a good friend and a teammate with everything that's going on back? In your country? Regarding my position, I haven't lived there for the last seven years. And, uh, you know, now my position becomes clear and clear why I didn't do it. You know, and uh, for the safety of our families in this situation, we cannot say, you know, we can say the emotional stuff, we can say what really you think about stuff like that. But the point of that is uh, what is going on is really, it's scary. We had some kind of a situation, of course, not even close to similar to war 
a year ago with our elections when the people were just taken from their houses to go to jail just to express their opinions. And that's the freedom of work, you know? But in reality, you know, right now, especially the Belarusian military forces are being sent to die. And the people who I knew, who we were playing with, who we were growing up with, are sent to their certain death in that situation. And uh, just of the scare, like how scary it is. And, you know, Boba tried to, like from him, just sitting right next to him right now and just hearing those things. And, you know, he tells you this first time, we hear and this the whole time. We can read, you know, the news that coming from there. And uh, this is one of the hardest things where nobody should ever experience what exactly he's going through. As much as we know how people want to synthesize him and how much we do, the experience of this is something that none of us ever should experience. Dimitri? Yeah, adding to Yagan's point, I had a chance to go home in summer to visit my family because of the whole COVID-19 situation for the last year and a half. I didn't have a chance to go home last summer, so I got a chance to go this summer. And from personal experience, I wouldn't say that it was as safe back home as it ever been before, pre-war the war. But especially now, I can agree with Volod. At first, I didn't believe the fact that Russia actually attacked Ukraine because I'm partially Ukrainian. My dad is from Ukraine. And I have half of my family living in Ukraine and the other part live in Belarus. My mom's side live in Belarus and dad's in Ukraine. So at first, I didn't believe, I didn't believe it too. So I called my dad and I asked him, like, is it true? At first, he wasn't even knew the whole situation himself. So only like after day, two days after, we can actually figure out that we actually work. And it's just, it's just really hard to express like how I was care for my family, for my both sides of the families. But like going back to the Belarus part, I was really proud of Bill Belarusian at first, but now like I don't understand like why would we be part of this and like helping Russia or, like open our border or like I'm confused like why would we like attacking our brothers because we've been brothers with Russia for like as long as I know myself and I never had any political or any type of issue with them so it's just really hard to understand and accept. You know the three of you I think are a great example of how sports, especially basketball, as we've seen internationally brings people together. You could all be from different backgrounds. Your governments could have different conflicts. But at the human level, person to person, you get along, your teammates. Do you ever wonder, like, why can it exist in this form, but not in others, especially at the governmental level? Uh, I will say we have in Ukraine, we have a revolution, like 2014. And when the Belarus revolution happened, me and only everybody in Ukraine feel the pain of Belarus people, how hard it is. And except I know my mom support Belarus so much in this time. She helped, my father helped, everybody I know, like they really like crying for Belarus. And right now in this this situation, I feel like the same. Maybe we have like some political conflict between all these countries, but like people, we, how Dmitry say, we are brothers. The people are connected between Ukraine and Belarus in Russia. No one wants to fight. No one wants to war. But everything what I want to politics, say to politics, like we need the stumbles. Because only Ukrainians and only you can stumble. People do want to work. And as you said it very correctly, and Dima and Boa, people are brothers. We don't want to fight with each other. But we are like of course, we can see here in San Francisco and say all that, but we have our families, our friends there. And 
they are suffering and we're suffering with them. And we, in our generation, we are, we're not responsible for a broken system of 20 years ago. We just not. So stop the war, fix this thing. It's not right. And not a single person will tell you that it's right. And who will say it's not a quite a smart person. Yeah, people don't deserve to die just because of political conflict of two powerful leaders. People are supposed to be victims of this situation. There's supposed to be another way to solve this issue in a peace way. So all I can say is ask is just please stop the war. The blue and yellow flag that's hanging behind you, what, what does it mean to you? For me, it's home. For me, it's my family. I left Ukraine at such a young age, age of 13. Uh, every day, I think about Ukraine because my family lives in there. I'm born in Ukraine. It's my culture. It's my, it's my home. For me, it's everything. My family, my father, they fight for Ukraine. I will fight for Ukraine. My kids will fight for Ukraine. And lastly, the three of you, and I really appreciate you taking some time here. What has the staff, you know, Todd Golden and the staff and and the community of your team and the school, uh, if you could each answer this, just what it has meant to you during this unbelievable stressful time in what should be, as I said at the top, you know, a celebrated time as you're getting close to potentially being in, you know, the NCAA tournament as the season is winding down. If you could just Go down the line, you know, Yaoyan, Volo, and Dimitri. I think the most important part is that everybody here cares. You know, and as you said, there's the time of celebration. You know, you have most important games, you have the end of the season and all that stuff coming up together. And just understanding that the staff is here for you and they would do everything in their power to help you to get through it. And uh, as experience is that what I'm, what I'm seeing for them doing towards the world, and I've been here, you know, for a long time in WCC in general. Not a lot of people would be as invested as this place is. And uh, from my perspective, I'm really grateful for that for what they do for him, and uh, it's been awesome. A lot more work to be done, though. And into Yogan's point, as he said, it's a very diverse place, so there's a lot of people from different countries, different cultures, and for them to understand the situation that all of our countries in right now, it's I really appreciate that for them showing support and being caring and showing their love and support and donating money and doing all those little things that can actually probably not fix, but like improve situation in some type of way. So I'm just really grateful for them being understanding. So I feel huge support this moment. Everybody like coaches, players, students, teachers, even like just people who know like from Ukraine. I have like everyday messages that people ask me, do I need some help? And they really want to help me, help my family, help me cry. And everything I can say is thank you for all this support. Like it's really important for me. Like I know like maybe I don't need support, but my family is in Ukraine needs support. So for all these people who want to help and help, I say thank you so much. And for people who want to help somehow, please do. If you can, any support in this, in this present time. Well, we, we wish your, your father, obviously, safety as he patrols the streets there. And, and your mom and your sister, hopefully, are safe in their, hopefully, temporary location. Um, thinking of all three of you, uh, you're doing a wonderful thing being a team and um, really helping uh, Volo get through this. And hopefully, it will end sooner than later. Uh, appreciate your time, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you. And that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness Men's Basketball. As always, 
Go to at March Madness MBB for all our content. NCAA Digital, of course. So last week of the regular season. Next week, leading into Champ Week. And then Selection Sunday, March 13th. Well, of course, a bracket breakdown with our podcast leading into the NCAA tournament. As always, big shout out to Abby Stoltz, team at Bleacher Report, everyone at NCAA.com doing a great job with the pod. Appreciate everyone's hard work getting this to you. Thanks for listening, everyone. Take care.